0: All right, good morning, everyone. Oh, I'm a camp guy, so that doesn't work. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) The camp people in the room said amen. Uh, My name is Luke LaRock, and I am the director of ministry at Muskoka Bible Center, and I'm going to explain that in a quick second, but because I like you, and I know that it is lunchtime, I'm going to set my stopwatch, because you're going to want to go eat, and you're not going to want to hear me talk. So I'm just going to start this, and at 25 minutes, I'll just walk off the stage, and you can go eat. Yeah, and lots of people are sick right now. Uh, I feel bad for DJ. I was homesick with my son yesterday. Uh, He's five, and he's really great, but it doesn't work when he pukes. Uh, And the thing that no one talks about when you're a parent and you're working from home is that you have to focus on the screen while your son is puking a bucket on the other side of the screen. You're like, you can do it, buddy. But you're like doing it like this with your mic muted because you don't want anyone to think that you are, you know, crazy. Uh, So... My name is Luke LaRock, or The Rock. My wife is a supply teacher. That's how she gets the kids in her classes to pay attention to her. She's like, you can just call me The Rock. And they think she is the coolest person ever. Uh, she is the coolest person ever. Not because of me. I'm the lucky one. I married up. Uh, and I am the director of ministry at Muskoka Bible Center. What is that? Uh, basically, what I do is I oversee ministry programming at MBC. Uh, And so if you've seen The Lion King, there's that moment where uh, Mufasa takes Simba up onto Pride Rock and he's like, "What is? where where do we own? He's like, everything the light touches. So basically, I joke, if it even smells like ministry, I have to deal with it, Uh, which means I get to do cool things like the bookstore, I get to do cool things like uh, recreation programming because we try to incorporate ministry into the way that we do recreation at NBC and all of that. Uh, And so yeah, that looks like 14 different retreats that we run year round. We run nine weeks of summer programming for just about 2,000 people on site every day, including our Stepping Stone students. This summer, we're hiring 140 students to work both on the MBC conference side, and we're also reopening a camp called Camp Wajidawin this summer, which we're very excited for. Um, Wajidowin used to be an open enrollment camp. Kids would just sign up from anywhere and then come to camp. During the pandemic, like every other camp, they had to shut down Wajidawin, and this year, we're reopening it as a camp for kids from marginalized communities. So we've got five partner communities, mostly in the GTA, but Hamilton and Guelph as well. Uh, and we've invited those 80 kids a week to come up for free. The partners in us pay for all of it. Uh, and we're really excited about that. So we do all sorts of things like that. Um, if you ever want to talk about NBC, you can go talk to Noah Ecker and Laura Hammer, our Stepping Stones coordinators, because they're here for the ministry job fair. But I promised DJ and Chuck that I wouldn't talk about MBC too much. And uh, that's okay. Because <laughs> I'm new to NBC. I've only been there a year and a half. So there's a bunch of students that I can see in the room who know way more about MBC. Ezra Tecliohannes knows it all. Just talk to him. He will give you all the tips and tricks. So sorry, Ezra. Actually, if you could go bother him, I would appreciate that because I love this brother, but I also like it when he gets to deal with stuff. It's fun. So, uh, what did I do before that? Uh, I heard through DJ and Chuck that some of you here are here on one and two year programs. You're just doing maybe a Bible college certificate, something like that, before you go off and become electrical engineers or sound production managers or, you know, whatever that might look like. I can think of a bunch of other random jobs I was going to say. but again, I want you to eat lunch on time. Uh, So for those of you who are here and you're just here for one or two years, be encouraged, because although I'm in full-time ministry now, and I have been since 2015, I actually had a very strong plan to not get involved in full-time ministry, so it's okay. God will use you however he chooses, so follow the path that he's got in front of you. Uh, A few of the weird things I've done before this, Uh, I did an undergraduate degree in theater performance at the University of Toronto, I was planning to be an actor, Uh, and then I actually started a career as an actor and theater producer, Uh, God got a hold of my life, suddenly I was working in sub-Saharan Africa in a country called Malawi doing HIV AIDS prevention, then I was back at school uh, learning about international development and theology, I worked with street involved communities in downtown Toronto. uh, like I said HIV AIDS prevention in Africa working with refugees and then suddenly in 2015 I move up to Muskoka and I became the executive director of a summer camp called Beacon Bible Camp uh, that's where I grew up at camp it's where I met my wife and all of that stuff uh, and then a year and a half ago I moved to MBC to start taking over these ministry programs for fun I even had some time involved in politics uh, and I started a family I've got two kids I've got a 9-year-old daughter named Orley and a five-year-old son named Jack, Uh, and so you can truly have it all. If you don't want to get involved in ministry, just follow the plan, and you'll end up in full-time ministry, because that's the plan God's got for all of you. Okay, I'm done. Go to lunch. No. (laughs) Uh, So, all joking aside, my goal today is to encourage you. You know, we... uh, our NBC booth, our staff are going to be here at the Ministry Jobs Fair today, but really for this morning, when I heard that there was some of you who are coming into this and maybe you're planning to go into full-time ministry, uh, that's fantastic and great, and I affirm that, and that's good. But there's probably some of you in this room who are maybe wondering, or you're pretty sure you don't want to be involved in full-time ministry, uh, and that's okay. When I, when I asked, you know, what should I even be talking about? Do you have any kind of passages from Scripture that the group is going through? I think it was Chuck that said, you know, we want to encourage our students to be salt and light. And that's great, especially because next summer our theme at NBC is the gospel, salt and light. And so I've been thinking about these two words a lot. And now you get to hear a bunch of my thoughts on salt, especially. Uh, so it's a funny coincidence. Like I said, last year we looked at nine. We did nine weeks of just the gospel. We said, you know what? We're coming out of the pandemic at NBC. Families are returning for the first time in a long time you know some families haven't been here let's just go back to basics and just look at the gospel what is the gospel because so many times we can add so much to the gospel let's just strip it right down and so we had 9 weeks we had a teacher a summer teacher two chapels on Sunday morning Monday to Friday chapel and all these different things we said here's an aspect of the gospel please look at it and go through that and and we think it went really well there was a lot of families who said we loved that we could come for the whole summer if we had a trailer or just come week to week and just focus on the gospel and so We said, what are we doing next year? And we said, let's go back to the gospel, the gospel 2.0. Just kidding, there's only one gospel. Um, (laughs) But we want to look at how that impacts our lives. And if we respond to the gospel, how do we live that out? We came to this passage in Matthew 5 about salt and light. And so, you know, I talk about this all being a coincidence that Chuck would mention salt and light. And we're doing NBC next summer, Salt and Light but the reality is there's no such thing as coincidence, right? There's just God being really obvious, uh, and I would encourage you to dive into that. Um, so, all of this to say, salt, light, you know, we talk a lot about salt in the Bible. It's in the, uh, we talk a lot about light in the Bible, sorry. It's third verse of the Bible, Genesis 1, verse 3, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Gen- uh, Revelation 22, 5, the end of the Bible, And night will be no more, there will be no need for light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So lights all over the place, you know, Jesus is the light of the world, all of that. It takes a lot more work to find stories and passages about salt. And so as we've been preparing for next summer, I've been doing, it sounds so weird, but I've been doing this deep dive studying salt because I want to understand what is Jesus talking about when he's talking about salt? Why is this useful? And so some of the thoughts I have today, I just, I want to share with you and I hope encourage you a little bit. There's some well-known ones, um, you know, if you're here at Heritage, probably you're going to know a lot of the stuff I'm talking about, but you know, we talk about Lot's wife being turned into a pillar of salt when they're fleeing from Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a passage about salt. We could talk about that, I guess. There's some stuff in First Chronicle, uh, Second Chronicles about salt as a covenant, uh, things like that. You know, they talk about, I think it's in Ezekiel, rubbing salt on babies, all these sorts of things. But, of course, the idea of salt and light coming together is from Matthew 5. And so I'm going to read Matthew 5.13. am just going to look at one verse today for the next few minutes, uh, and I hope it will be an encouragement to you. This is what it says. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, I think we can get some of the easy stuff out of the way. Right off the top, you're here at Bible school, that's cool. You probably understand that when Jesus is talking about salt here, he's talking about people, he wants people to help preserve the world through their faith in him and how they live out their lives in light of God's love for us. Now, I hope that's not a spoiler for any of you. If you did not know that before, Talk to any one of your friends or teachers, me, anyone, we can talk more about that. But for the next few minutes as we talk about this, you know, and I, I want you to be encouraged even as you go into the ministry job fair today, I know NBC's here, I know a couple of other things are here, but as you go in there, I just want to encourage you to consider how can I be salt, whether you're getting involved in a ministry job this summer or you're going to go garden landscape for your dad's company or something like that, how can I be salt and light? So the first thing we'll look at here, who is Jesus talking to? The very first word, You. Now, I don't know if you, any of you watch The Chosen. Maybe that's heretical to talk about. We can talk about The Chosen later and the ins and outs of that. But the last episode of season two and the first episode of season three, the current season, has kind of like bookends the Sermon on the Mount. And you see that Jesus is getting ready, and they've done all these things that I don't think maybe are scriptural, but like set up these huge screens and stuff like that, and he's going to do this presentation, you think. Uh, and it's in front of this huge crowd. And I've always traditionally thought of the Sermon on the Mount as this, his big kind of opening sermon. But when I went back and looked at Matthew 5, what it says is seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, which sounds like he went away from the crowds, and when he sat down, his disciples came to join him. So suddenly I'm thinking, hold on, is this something where Jesus is talking to a whole group of people or just to the disciples? And I think probably it was a combination of both. Jesus was, of course, talking to his disciples. That's what the Bible says here in Matthew 5 verse 1. But the reality is, as we see through all four Gospels, is that people would not leave Jesus alone. Anywhere he would go, they would follow him and try to be near him. And so I think people were kind of listening to this. He was talking to his disciples with other people listening. And what I got from that was that when he says you, Jesus is not just talking to his disciples. He's not just talking to the best of the best. He's not talking just to those who are going to go out two two, two, two by two and cast out demons and heal the sick and all of these things. But he's talking also to people who are checking him out for the very first time, people who have heard about this guy who's healing all these folks and doing unbelievable things, and even though he's from Galilee because nothing good comes from him in Galilee, what's going on here, all these things, Jesus isn't reserving this encouragement just for superheroes. He's sending this encouragement out to anyone to be salt to anyone who trusts him. All of us are the you in that passage, this passage. You, me, every person who trusts God as savior is called to be the salt of the earth. So if you love Jesus, this is for you. And what is salt used for anyways? That's the next thing I want to look at. Biblically, I think it's safe to say that salt is used for a whole bunch of things. You know, we talked about Lot's wife getting turned into salt. We're not going there today. But it's used for seasoning food. It's used as a trade for commodity, a commodity for trading. It's used as a metaphorical and ceremonial representation of permanence. It's used as a disinfectant for wounds and a tool for preservation. There's all sorts of different things that salt is used for. My understanding is that in first century Israel, a lot of the Israelites would have gotten their salt from about an eight-kilometer stretch of the side of the Dead Sea. Uh, The Dead Sea is very salty, in case you didn't know that. I haven't been there myself, but I'm told that you can float uh, without having to do anything because it's so salty. But there's about an eight-kilometer stretch of the Dead Sea, and those cliffs are all made of salt, and that's where the Israelites would get their salt from. It's still in use today, as as I understand it. Again, I haven't been there. Now, it might not get as much airtime in the Bible as the word light, but salt was still a very important part of everyday Jewish cultural life in first century Israel. And so short story as I don't think that we can ignore that Jesus is comparing those who love God to an important cultural and economic marker. He's not just, we think of table salt, right? We think salt is just a little thing in our cupboard. But for them, everyday salt was something that was used for a whole bunch of things. And he's saying, if you're salt, you're important, you matter. This message is from Jesus. To summarize that, it's for you and you are important and you have a role to play in God, how God and what God is doing on earth. Now, we talk about salt losing its taste, and that was the first thing that kind of twigged my attention when I was looking at this passage more in depth, because my dad is a very smart guy. He's much smarter than me. He's got a PhD in laser physics, which basically means that he's qualified to talk about things I don't understand. I tried once to read his thesis, and I literally did not understand some of the words in it. I was like, okay, I'm too dumb. Put it back on the shelf. We never talked about it again. He has touched things that are now on the planet Mars, which I think is like the coolest. I'm a nerd. I'm okay with that. Like, you know, but he's like you know, they, they basically, he does something that uses LiDAR technology, which is now in your phone, if you've got a new iPhone, but before it used to be this 20-foot thing that they would strap to the bottom of a helicopter and they would use to map the bottoms of oceans. My dad helped design this kind of technology. And they used it, and they've used it in, on Mars to map out the atmosphere because they realized, well, we, how do we measure Martian atmosphere? And he's like, well, you can shoot a laser up into the sky and then map out. And so he's like, like, light years, haha, <laughs> joke, beyond me. <laughs> Uh, And and so like, let's just be clear, my dad's very smart. And the apple fell far from the tree, gonna be honest, tried to do a theater degree, so like physics theater over here, run away. It's like Jonah and the whale, except the whale is my dad, I don't know. Um, (laughs) The one thing he did teach me though, in science and faith, he loves the Lord deeply, and I'm, I'm so proud of my father, and he's a very committed scientist who loves studying this stuff. He just spent four weeks in Malawi teaching about science and faith, is that it's very okay to question things. And so the first thing I did when I came to this is I was like, wait a minute, can salt actually not be salty anymore? I've always taken that for granted because that's just, you know, you read this in your Bible growing up and you think, oh, salt can lose its taste. Turns out it's really hard and nigh on impossible for salt to lose its taste. This first question I asked. So it turns out that salt is one of the most stable elements on earth. God designed the two elements, sodium and chloride, NaCl, if you've heard that before, they really like each other a lot. And so when NACL gets together, this is the science portion of it, I'm so sorry, have to go through this, the chemical compound for salt, it's very consistent and stable. It's very hard, in fact, almost impossible, scientists would say, for salt to actually lose its saltiness. There's two ways for, for true salt to lose its saltiness, dilution and contamination. I'm going to go in them for a second, but I just wanna quickly explain that the reason I say true salt here is because scholars are fairly certain that the salt that came from the Dead Sea was not just like pure salt. We think of table salt like just salt, but there was probably a bunch of other things in it like bromine, magnesium, and boron. This is stuff I learned when you research salt on the internet, it's so cool, I love Google. We could have a whole conversation and study about whether Jesus is talking about like true NACL salt or whether he's talking about the salt that was available in the local Jewish market, but that would be a rabbit trail, and you would not make lunch, and you would all be mad at me, and I don't want that, especially Ezra. So, uh, one of the only people I can see in the room right now, so it's fine. I'm just going to make fun of Ezra all day. So, we're going to assume that Jesus is talking about true salt. And So, first up, dilution. We've got dilution and contamination. When I think about dilution... I think about something that's been so watered down that it's not recognizable anymore as the thing that it used to be. So it's quick and easy to talk about in one sense. It's so hard to dilute salt. If you think about it, have you ever accidentally oversalted your food? Is it is it easy to get it to be unsalty again? Usually, we just toss over salted food because it's so over salted. and maybe because I like to prank, and I'm from a camp community. If I mean, you can do this to Ezra or Noah or anyone, but like just take a thing of salt and dump it in someone's coffee in the morning and see what happens when they try to drink salty coffee. It doesn't work, right? We throw out salt, we throw out food that's been over because it's almost impossible to over dilute it, and yet this is one of the ways that salt can lose its saltiness is that it has to be so watered down that it doesn't have the ability to to, to be salty anymore. It's, It's quite hard, but as the expression goes, a little salt goes a long way, which is encouraging when you think that Jesus is calling us salt and saying that us as gospel image bearers of God, we can be salt. It's very hard to dilute things down to the point where it doesn't taste like salt anymore. But it's also scary to think about us living in such a way that we're no longer salty, because that's what he's giving a warning against here. Don't be thrown out. Don't become unsalty. If our message becomes so watered down, our love for Jesus becomes so watered down that it doesn't look or taste like God's goodness anymore, that's actually a very, very far step. It would take a lot of work to have to go that far, and yet the world we have around us these days is working very hard to dilute the gospel to the point where it doesn't recognizably look, taste, feel like salt. The good news is is it takes just a little bit of salt to bring back something when it is diluted makes me think, when I was in Malawi in 2008, uh, like a good millennial in the middle of the 2000s, I packed my little white Apple earbuds. AirPods didn't exist back then. I'm realizing as I look around that maybe some of you were born (laughs) around that time. That's cool, I'm not old, you're old, it's cool, we're cool. Uh, But anyways, I'm traveling to Malawi, I'm on the plane listening to my music, all of these things, and then I get to Malawi, and I found that my music was unbearably loud. I could not believe how loud the music was in my ears. And it's because I realized over the course of seven weeks there that I had been so used to in North America listening to loud music to drown out all the sound around me that I had my volume all the way up on max. I actually had to go into the settings on my iPod. iPod, not an iPhone, didn't exist in 2008. Uh, Or if they did, I was not rich enough to own one. (laughs) Uh, But I had to go in and put a max limit on the volume on my phone because I couldn't handle how loud it was. And I can very specifically remember traveling back from Malawi, having my sound down at like one third or half of the, the volume I used to listen to because over seven weeks, my ears reset to the volume that actually I could handle listening to. And to be honest, over the next few years, then I started listening to the volume louder again because my ears were completely desensitized to the sound. And all it took was a trip to sub-Saharan Africa to fix that, right? I suddenly had this new sense of what it sounded like. And I think like the reset to my ears in Malawi, it's possible to reset our taste buds to gospel saltiness, but we can't dilute the gospel anymore if we want to know what true salt NACL tastes like. The second way that we can lose salt is contamination. So dilution means that something looks nothing like itself because it's so watered down that it's not recognizable anymore. Contamination is the opposite of that. Contamination represents things that looks like salt but aren't truly actually salt. I mentioned a couple of minutes ago that the Dead Sea salt that was typically found in Israel was found to have other additives that eventually caused it to go bad or to to lose its saltiness. So bromine, bromine, uh, boron, other substances, magnesium... The salt that the Israelites often used, and that probably Jesus was referencing here for the people listening to the Sermon on the Mount, it was salt that was mixed with other things. And then on top of that, as I was reading and researching, I discovered that there was a lot of like, market vendors and things who would mix in other white substances to try to make it look like salt so they could sell it at a higher price or more for less and all these things. Uh, the common one apparently was gypsum, which is another white substance that looked like salt initially, and if you had gypsum and salt mixed together, you might not notice But eventually, the salt that had these additives in it would lose its taste because the salt would go away and all you'd be left with was this other stuff that wasn't actually salt. And I think we experience this in modern-day culture too. Uh, You know, I came across a meme when I was because this is how we research in this generation. We look at the memes first, and we distract ourselves and read it for half an hour, and then we realize we have to start writing a sermon. Uh, but I found this meme of this guy who had bought genuine Himalayan sea salt, and the side of the package said 250 million years old, and then at the bottom it had a little printed expiration date for like a year later. And he was like, good news, guys, I bought salt that was 250 million years old, but I got it just in time because it expires next year. But it's not the salt. You can look it up. It's funny. It's, I'm not even doing it justice, but here we are. I'm old. It's cool. The odds that the people selling the salt, you know, all of this, it's not because it was actually expiring. The salt wasn't going to expire. The additives that they put in the salt to keep the salt fresh, and all of these things is the stuff that was going to expire and mean that we had to throw it out. You see, salt is hydrophilic, and that means that it loves and is attra- it attracts water. Water wants to be around salt. So if you put salt on your shelf in a little container that's open and not airtight, eventually that salt will become rock hard and clumpy because it attracts the moisture in the air. That's why those cliffs on the Dead Sea are like that over however long we're gonna, not going to go into creation time right now. We definitely don't have time for that. But those, you know, those cliffs are rock hard because of the clumpy salt and all of that. On its own, salt doesn't stick together. But when you add water, H2O to NaCl, you get clumpy salt. And it's a modern day convenience for us not to have to worry about clumpy salt because things have been added to the salt in order to make it not clump up. But those same additives are the things that make modern-day table salt expire. After two or three years, you're supposed to get rid of it. I don't, I've never thrown out salt in my life because, I don't know, but here we are. And so all of this makes me think, what are the things that we're adding to the gospel these days that is causing the gospel to expire for people? There are things, and I think we can all think about them if we sit quietly for even 10 or 15 seconds, that we have tried to add from the gospel, maybe from the right wing of politics or maybe from the left wing of politics, that we think we can add to the gospel in order to make it more modern, more relevant, more attractive to people initially, but then we're going to be left with something that isn't actually a true gospel and that people will throw away when it's no longer useful. I won't start down the rabbit trail of all of the different things there because I think that probably I've spoken for too long. And again, I want you to all like me when I finish. So I'm going to ask you to consider this. When you consider the gospel at its core, what is the gospel at its core? Are you adding anything to the gospel yourself that is causing it to expire, not only in your own life, but in the life of the people around you. The last thing this verse says is it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underneath people's feet. In first century Israel, and indeed in many countries nowadays, when people are done with garbage, they don't have garbage trucks that come and collect their garbage at the end of the driveway once a week. They take their garbage and they chuck it out the back door or the front door, sometimes into pits, sometimes just onto the streets, and they either leave it for someone else to deal with, or it just sits there and collects. And that's something that we don't think about in North America. We have a very convenient first world life here. But the reality is that the, when stuff is thrown out onto the street, it just becomes trash that everybody has to deal with. And it's an inconvenience for people, and people really don't like it, and they get bitter about having to deal with it. And I think we all get it. We don't want our ministry, the things that we're doing, whether you're here wanting to go into year-round full-time ministry, or you're here just you know, for a year and before you start vocational studies and want to go into secular work. I don't think any of us want to live out our faith in such a way that it's become diluted or contaminated so that people want to throw it out and not have to deal with it. If you love Jesus and you want people to love Jesus, you want people to be attracted to Jesus, and he's doing that through this reference to salt in this passage, reminding us that we want to be salty. We want to be something that people want to go after. After all this discussion of salt, and with this I'll close, I was doing a bunch of reading again, as I said, and the thing that stuck with me the most, there was, a, little, there was a, a blog post, someone was writing about salt, and someone wrote at the bottom in a comment, a girl in my Sunday school class said this when I asked her what salt was good for, and she said, it makes people thirsty. And I love that song that we just sang, Oh uh, Glory Be to Christ, because it was talking about living water, and as I was sitting here and thinking about it, and I just made a small reference to it, there's something very beautiful to the fact that salt wants water, and salt makes us thirsty. And if we don't have salt, if we're not salty, then the people who taste the gospel might not want more of it because they think they've got enough, because it's not actually something that's salty, and it's not something that makes us want more. Any one of us, I think, and if you like football, you'll know it's like this or any other sport, in your moment of weakness have probably eaten one too many chips or maybe the whole bag like me. And then what you get with is you get very, very thirsty. And your first reaction is to want something to quench your thirst. And the best thing for that is water. Everything else is going to have some other additive, And so, if we're to be salt, my encouragement to you this morning as I close whether you're planning for a lifetime of vocational ministry or your time at Heritage is just some stop on the way to something else, don't lose your saltiness. In fact, I would encourage you to fight in today's culture, a culture that promises so many things that will dilute and contaminate the gospel, fight to hang on to the salty nature of the gospel, so much so that when people are around us, they get thirsty for water. Not just any water, of course but the living water that the woman at the well asked for because she never wanted to go hungry uh, thirsty again. And it's true that whoever drinks of that living water will never be thirsty again. And so when I think about all this and I put it all together, I really enjoy that Jesus uses the idea of salt because I want my life and I pray that your lives will also be something where you are so salty that people will want the living water of God in their life so that they will never be thirsty again. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for those who are here uh, this morning. We do pray, as Chuck mentioned earlier, for those who are thick, uh, sick. I think of uh, Rick, Reed, and Linda. I also think of DJ uh, and just family members all over right now. We're dealing with a whole bunch of illness coming out of the last few years. And so we pray for their healing and their safety. Uh, Father, I also ask that as you know, my words come out today, uh, let the ones that are useful uh, in kingdom building be stuck in people's minds. Let those things that I've said that aren't useful just kind of fade off into nothing. But at the end of the day, Father, I pray that your love, your gospel, would be found inside of us as true salt. Nothing diluted, nothing contaminated, but something that makes people want to learn more and understand more about the gospel. I pray for each of these as they go to the ministry job fair today, whether they're planning vocational work in the future, or secular work with a bivocational calling, whatever that may be. There's so many ways that we can serve you nowadays. Father, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to be a part of that work. We pray these things in your name. Amen.